Hello and welcome back to the Battleborn Leafs podcast. I'm your host as always, Joshua Anselmo, joined by my co-host, Bryson Poza. Bryson, let's start off with the 5-1 loss to the Buffalo Sabres. But first, introduce yourself to the listeners. How are you doing? It's been a tough week here in Leafs Nation. Absolute anarchy in terms of the goaltending position. We have a whole lot to talk about, but let's get started. Introduce yourself to the listeners. It's been a while. Well, hello again, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, the last time I was on, I was on with you and Dan. And um, honestly, what we spoke about last time kind of is continued to translate into this week. Uh, there's been goalie issues. The Leafs continue to be inconsistent. And I think this past couple or the last couple of days against Buffalo that happened a few days ago, that was probably another one in terms of just being a bad loss overall. You lose to Buffalo. And then a week before you lose to Montreal, who's, just, who's been just as bad on paper. So against these teams at the bottom of the East, uh, these are games that the Leafs are unfortunately passing up on. And not only are they passing up on them, they are getting embarrassed in them. So that's what the concern is. And uh, we got a lot to talk about, like you mentioned off the top. So can't wait to dive into it. All right, let's start off with the game of the week. Uh, in terms of talking points, this one was ugly to say the least. I was there in attendance uh, covering this game and, uh, you know, there's not much to describe it as uh, a disappointment. Um, you know, final score was 5-1, the Buffalo Sabres, uh, who, were, who were going into this game on a six-game losing streak. The Buffalo Sabres lost six in a row, coming into Scotiabank Arena that was back at full capacity for the first time since December 11th. And wow, did the Leafs find a way to pull a dud. This was, I don't even know how to describe. This was deflating. Um, I haven't seen Scotiabank Arena in that bad of a mood in like a really long time. And it started off with the opening goal, Jacob Bryson. Uh, shot from the point. A lot of people blame Mrazic on this. If you go back and watch the replay, it hit off Morgan Riley. Tough to blame Mrazic on that one. I'll give him a pass. You know, then the Rasmus Sandin goal, that tied the game up, uh, you know, pretty quickly after Buffalo scored. Uh, midway through the first period, it was 1-1. They showed some compete level. But after Rasmus's goal, there really wasn't much left there in the lease for this game. It was an absolute fall off from here as Victor Olofsson scored. Just an absolute terrible play from the defense on this one. Then Tage Thompson scored literally like five minutes after that, uh, completely wide open in the slot and uh, just really turned on one beat Mrazek that like those first three goals, it's kind of hard to blame Mrazek, you know, the Olofsson one, which was Buffalo's second goal. Uh, we kind of talked about it on the last episode. He gets a little, I guess a little extreme is how I'm going to describe it. Um, you know, and on the Thompson goal, he was too shallow in his net. Another point we talked about in the last episode as well, but he like, he goes side to side and uh, sometimes he gets too over aggressive uh, when Mrazek's trying to chase a game. And uh, that really bit him here because uh, he bit to his near post and uh, it really just left a wide open cage for Victor Olofsson and uh, Morgan Riley and Sandine. Uh, they had terrible communication throughout the night. I tweeted it out uh, prior to the game uh, when I was waiting at line at Scotiabank arena saying that, you know, I, I'm not a fan of this pairing. They're both two offensive minds. I think they playing together would have held them back uh, in terms of the defensive zone. And I was hoping to be wrong, but like that clearly uh, did not happen. I was absolutely right to the exact T of it as Jeff Skinner also scored uh, to open up the third period off a, you know, kind of a mishandled pass by Rasmus Sandin. He didn't have the best game, muffled a couple passes. He also did the one with Tage Thompson when he turned on one the slot. And then Ocaposo, uh, that, his goal was just awful. Like TJ Brody and Justin Hall have been playing all right together, but they were both behind the goal line on this goal that you know you grew up a defenseman that should never be happening when you have both defensemen leaving the front of the net wide open as both d are behind the net that was uh, awful i can i like just forget about that play in general um but you know peter morazic you know, a lot of people criticized him in this one yeah he wasn't perfect it wasn't a good game for morazic overall 
but like it's hard to kind of pin him on most of these goals and you know Kyle Dubas kind of said that today in his media availability I think Morazic kind of got overhated in this one uh he was getting the Bronx cheers uh, at the game every time he made a save you know people were clapping all this and you know I think that was just tough and that just shows the amount of pressure that you know Leaf Nation puts on the goalie position here in Toronto but you know he had a stat line of 31 shots against five goals against 26 saves for an 8.39 save percentage then you look across the ice Craig Anderson you know at his age what he's doing this year is a win in my books yeah he's not having you know great numbers that you would talk about you know amongst the elite of the elite goalies but one goal against 29 saves a 0.967 save percentage and on the year, I know a lot of people are like, oh, Leafs lost to Craig Anderson. Well, you know, he's played 14 games, has a 2.87 goals against average and a .909 save percentage. He's had a really good year. I think if he, like, stayed healthy this year, you would see him a lot more in terms of trade deadline talk. I think a team would love to add him as a third goalie, maybe a backup, a veteran team. Uh, you know, somebody along the line that looks for help in goaltending, potentially a team like the Oilers or the Penguins who are looking for a backup like that. So, you know, I don't think that the criticism the Leafs got for losing to Craig Anderson was really necessary. It's just because of the age and the name. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the recap here in Buffalo. Tell me, what are your takeaways from this? Because I know this game is hard to talk about, and I just want to move on from it as quickly as possible. But uh, go ahead. Tell me stuff that uh, you want to discuss here, if it bothered you, or some positives you want to outshine on this game. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, there is no positives. Um, you know, just trying to look at any aspect of this game it just started off completely in the wrong foot. And I think it's just weird when you think of it because, you know, March 1st is when this game was, or and this was the first game back as well. And Josh, you were there. You could speak for it. The first game back with full capacity at Scotiabank arena. You feel like in some sort of way, the team would, you know, it just, it feels very unexpected for the team to put up a performance like they did here. And again, it's just been a rough stretch for this team overall. And you pretty much covered all aspects in, in terms of the goals and whatnot, but I just think, you know, right off the bat, everything just seemed completely out of sorts for the Leafs, and we saw a very similar start, and I go back to the Montreal game, it just felt very similar off the start, but in fact, this game was obviously worse, it was 5-1, but anyways, um, it just right off the bat, they couldn't get anything going, and yeah, you were mentioning the D pairings as well, I think that's an interesting point, because we do know that Sheldon Keith has kind of thrown in the pairings in, in uh, a blunder, in a way, so everyone's kind of playing with different people, you know, every single game, uh, Riley and Brody have pretty much been the most consistent pairing on this team or ha have had to be broken up due to the fact that Sheldon Keefe is trying to find ways for people to be better uh, with other players. And you have Rasmus Sandin, who is, you know, he's played on the off wing before, but not a lot at the NHL level. He tries to do that in this game and it just didn't go well. Like you said, as much as he, as he did score the lone goal, they just, they just felt very uncoordinated uh, throughout pretty much points of the game, but they just didn't feel like their chemistry together was that good overall. And of course, you know, I think another thing too uh, that I wanted to point out that, um, you know, I was wondering what you thought as well is I just think the second line overall, it's been, it's been a rough stretch for them in terms of Kerfoot, Tavares and uh, Nylander. I just feel like as much as they are individually putting up assists and some goals here and there, it just, that line overall just hasn't been clicking uh, recently. And I think that's also been kind of a worry because obviously the first time with Bunting Matthews, and Marner is continuing to produce, you know, Matthews in the Rocket Richard race, continuing to score all the time. And then you have the third line, which you expect some productivity, but the expectations are obviously a lot about, are a, a lot lower than the other two lines above them. But just the second line overall is something that the Leafs need more out of. I understand it's a cold spell. We're in the dog days of the season. I'm not kind of, I'm not concerned long-term about those three in particular, but I think it's something to note right now in terms of the last couple of weeks, with that second line. And then of course uh, the goaltending situation hasn't changed since the last time I was on with you and Dan, I mean, we went to Peter Morazic on or Peter Morazic this game. And unfortunately just nothing went uh, his way again. And as much as he was hung out to dry in a lot of aspects of it, it just unfortunately was another start where he was, um, you know, he just what he was superb and it was just um, unfortunate to see again against the Buffalo Sabres team and getting outplayed by, 40 year old uh, Craig Anderson who feels like he's been in the league forever but yeah I mean you were mentioning his stats and he's quietly had a good year as well with somebody like Jeff Skinner who put up um, a, a goal and of course uh, Tage Thompson I think has been a really good standout as well it's just it's hard to find 
or be kind of aware of what Buffalo's doing because of how bad they've been, which makes this even more embarrassing. But those guys in particular, I thought have had a really good year, especially taste uh, Thompson who's entered the league on a very high note. And of course, Jeff Skinner, who's been inconsistent pretty much throughout his entire career um, is on another kind of good part this season. He's playing well compared to what we saw the last couple of years, of course, playing up to the contract that he was, or that he got from Buffalo a couple of years ago. So that was one part of it. And, um, you know, you look at this team again, I'm still not overly concerned as much as Leafs fans are hitting the panic button. It's just a regular thing, but this cold spell in particular has just been, it's, it's been a really low point. And I think overall, um, especially with the goaltending, like, you know, a lot of people are freaking out over that still. I don't know if anything has changed in terms of your opinions on it or not, but uh, I think it's definitely a kind of a, something to c- continue to keep note of. I know Jack Campbell is expected to go Saturday, I believe. And uh, that's going to be another one that's going to be interesting with a Vancouver team who's fighting for the, one of the last wildcard spots in the Western Conference and pretty much has been on a better run than usual since uh, Bruce Boudreaux took over. So that's another intriguing game. But yeah, I mean, this Buffalo game, going back to it, it just there's not one positive you can really think of, unfortunately. And it's just sad that it happened on home ice in front of a full capacity arena, like I was mentioning at the beginning. So it just seems like it's something that was almost entirely impossible to predict. Like you didn't see this one coming at all. And I can just only imagine the disappointment of everyone who was there. And in terms of the Bronx cheers and everything that Peter Morazic got, I assume part of that was just the fans being able to kind of, you know, be at a game again. And, you know, everyone's been cooped up at home, especially people not being able to go to the games. So I, I enjoy the energy and I understand the frustration again, but um, I think it's still just a point in the season where it's a dog. It's kind of, we're in the dog days. And I do think um, it's going to be better for these guys. I don't know how much, you know, I'm sure it will be better, but I'm not expecting it to be, you know, perfect, but it's going to be a lot better than what we've seen the past week. So who knows how long it takes, but unfortunately both of them in terms of Campbell and Morazic continue to struggle at the same time. And I think it's definitely concerning and in a way, it's exposing the defense overall. Yeah, well, going back to your early point here about uh, the second line, I wanted to bring this up because I think this is a perfect transition into our pregame for tomorrow night, as you kind of hinted at with the Vancouver Canucks coming to town. Um, you mentioned the second line, and this kind of ties us into today's news that Nick Robertson's on the second line. Thank you. Thank you. If you are playing Nick Robertson in a grinder role, you're not going to get that production. I'm sorry. Nick Robertson is not a fourth line left winger who you're expecting to provide offense from down there. You know, we've seen him struggle in the NHL. I thought in the game so far, yeah, the counting stats haven't been there, but I think he's been effective. You know, he's playing with Jason Spezza and Wayne Simmons and, you know, both in their own right are, you know, I, like it's hard to be critical on those guys Spezza for what he's making, what he brings to this team. Like I said, I'm a big fan of his, but like Wayne Simmons, no goals in 24 games now since his last, that's tough. And I'm, I'm not going into that conversation just yet. We'll talk about that. Like at the end of this episode, but um, you know, Nick Robertson, it's about time. He's on that second line. That's where we all envisioned him. I believe truly as, you know, leaf nation as a whole, I think he's going to bring something to that line with Tavares uh, who they put on the right side is going to be interesting. Right now it is Nylander, but, you know, Sheldon Keefe's not afraid to break up any line, and he showed that with TJ Brody and Morgan Riley. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Marner and Nylander switch again. It seems like both those guys find their game at certain moments throughout the year. For some reason, we never really see all three clicking. Uh, I guess that's just how life is. But, you know, I think there's just a bunch of panic right now and overreaction, and, John Tavares, despite, you know, the amount of criticism he's getting right now and all the people all over online calling him wash and everybody saying that, you know, this is not Johnny hockey. Like it is like the guy's almost a point per game. He's our second line center. Uh, I don't understand really the criticism on him. I know me and you are big, both John Tavares fans. Uh, what he brings to this team is, you know, really important. And I think a lot of what he brings goes overlooked because he's not going to be the guy that gets you four goals a game. He very well could but he's more of that reliable kind of centerman, the two-way game. And I know defensively and his analytics aren't, you know, very, you know, encouraging, but we both know that John Tavares is a really reliable center. And uh, if you're going to win a Stanley Cup here in Toronto, you better believe that he is going to be a part of that because we have seen him and what he brings to this offense 
and what he brings to the this defensive side of uh, this Maple Leafs forward core. Uh, tell me, do you think Nick Robertson now here on the second line as this little bridge into the pregame is a good fit? And uh, are you excited to see it tomorrow night? Absolutely, I am. And that's pretty much why this second line has been struggling. Uh, Sheldon Keefe is finally going to be trying something new, which is also what I am happy about for sure. And yeah, I mean, someone like John Tavares, who's still having a good year overall, as much as he's also another one who's kind of been in a rut lately, but I don't think he's been playing as bad as Leaf fans have been making him out to be. He's currently on pace for 79 points. So I think that's his fifth best NHL season. It's not obviously his best one, but it's not his worst one either. So as much as I think it's overreaction, I think that Nick Robertson going on his line on his wing um, is going to be something that maybe give him a boost. I mean, Nick Robertson, ever since being called up, like you were mentioning, has been on the fourth line. And a lot of fans also have been kind of questioning the move on that and kind of just saying that Sheldon Keefe has been wasting him on that fourth line. I don't know if I agree with Sheldon Keefe wasting him. I think also maybe this was kind of a way for him to enter the lineup before kind of evaluating the next steps. And I don't think Sheldon Keefe wanted to throw him there right away as somebody who's pretty much been out this year with an injury most of the year kind of come came back for a little bit, played in the minors, and got his chance in the NHL again. So I think it was kind of a way of easing him back in. Of course, he gets a couple games under his belt now, and he's well, he's ready to take that next step in terms of responsibility. And of course, the trade talk still comes up. A lot of people are saying it, you know, and kind of questioning the timing because this is happening against Vancouver. I don't know how much you believe in those conspiracy theories or not, or those trade rumors, but I think that's something to, I guess, maybe note. But we discussed the trade uh, possibility last week too, and wonder if this is maybe an audition that Leafs fan or that Leafs management's given to the rest of the league to take a look at him for. But either way, if it is or it isn't, uh, Nick Robertson deserves to be playing with people you know as talented as John Tavares and um, William Nylander compared to the fourth line. I'm not saying you know it's a walk on from to be there, but I think that he's earned the right to at least get that opportunity after spending some time on the fourth line as well. So it's been a few games down there. And you wonder if it'll give John Tavares and William Nylander a spark again to get going. Uh, Alex Kerfoot most likely going to move down, and Andre Kosh is probably going to be re returning to the lineup. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fits those bottom two lines as well going into tomorrow. So that's why I'm kind of uh, excited for it in a way, and I think Nick Robertson as well. This is an opportunity that he's got to take advantage of. Yes, I couldn't agree more, and I really like how you brought up that point about Robertson. I agree. Um you know, it's just, I think that Robertson now, he's a better offensive player than Alex Kerfoot. I know a lot of people talk about Kerfoot's points, but let's be real. Like, I'm not a Kerfoot hater. I know a lot of people kind of get that perspective. I'm not. I just don't think he puts up those numbers if you put him on a line where he drives his own offense. And that's why I don't like a lot of people act like, you know, he drives his own offense. And oh, sometimes he does. I'm not saying he's a bad player. What he brings to this team is, you know, crucial. He, he's very versatile. He can play in the middle, can play on both wings. Uh, he's really good in his own zone as well. So in that aspect, yes, he is better, better than Robertson, but Robertson is more of an offensive mind, which is why I think this is going to match up well with Tavares. Although that line on 5v5 analytically isn't very good in their own zone. Uh, Robertson, like I said, is more of an offensive mind. I don't know if that's something to watch out for, but I think it's worth mentioning. But with that, let's go to the preview now against the Vancouver Canucks who are coming to Scotiabank Arena tomorrow night. The Vancouver Canucks are 27-23-6. They are sixth in the Pacific right now. You know, this is a team that they started off really, really slow. They had that tough, you know, go like the Leafs did early on. They had the jersey thrown on the ice. It was a mess. There was talks about Benning and, uh, you know, all that management stuff and just utter chaos. A lot of stuff that Leaf fans are familiar with. Um, but, you know, they brought in Bruce uh, Boudreaux, who's really found a way to, I guess, kind of savor this season. This is a Canucks team that on paper that should be pretty good. I thought they were going to be okay this year. Uh, you know, they made that huge offseason deal, bringing in Ekman Larson and Connor Garland, which, you know, caught a ton of people by surprise. But, it's just been a tough year for them. And uh, with that, let's look at the more details in depth. Uh, we'll start off with the first line, which consists of Tanner Pearson on the left wing with JT Miller in the middle and Brock Besser on right wing. This line has been really hot uh, lately. JT Miller, uh, you know, he looks like a whole different player now 
uh, since his name has been brought into the light of trade gossip, I guess. Uh, he's really been strong. You know, it looks like him and Besser have really found that combination that they were looking for early on in the year. And now we're starting to see both of them who somehow, you know, fun, like funny, why, like, it's kind of funny. Sorry, I butchered that up completely. It's funny to see actually both these guys are, uh, you know, on the number one Canucks trade rumors, Besser and JT Miller. But with that, let's go to the second line here. Niels Hoaglander, Elias Patterson, and Connor Garland. And let's save the Connor Garland talk for the end of this episode. We, we're going to go into depth about that. There's reportedly, reportedly, in quotations, interest from Toronto. Uh, Hoaglander and Elias Patterson. They look like a really good mix together. Hoaglander's really fast. Uh, he's a smaller type guy, really offensive and creative. You know, this is a guy that he wanted to take more responsibility. Uh, Boudreaux trusted him with that. And it really looks like he's found a way to stay in the lineup more consistently. And uh, he's a good player. I like watching him. Uh, certainly, you know, buried under the big names here in Vancouver. But he is, you know, a weapon. And he's definitely somebody that – score and with Pedersen as his centerman Elias Pedersen had a really slow start like really 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 slow even when they brought in Boudreaux uh things weren't clicking from but ever since you know I guess a month or so now he's been on a heater one of the hottest guys in the league along with Patrick Laine uh he's been an absolute monster really strong second half here he is probably my must watch player for tomorrow night because the way he's playing right now He's a very dangerous uh, weapon here in Vancouver. So Connor Garland, we're going to skip over him. Uh, let's go to Vasily Podkolzin, Bo Horvat, and Alex Chase on line. This line has kind of been the, I guess, the, the question mark line for Vancouver. Uh, this is a very good third line in terms of talent. You know, Vasily Podkolzin and Bo Horvat are both awesome offensive players. Bo Horvat, you know, great two-way centerman you know, known as probably the big name of this Vancouver Canucks for a long time now. Uh, Bo Horvat season hasn't been great. Uh, he's one of those guys that have kind of had, you know, a tough start and it's translated all the way through, but he just had peaks here and there. But now he's playing with Pod Colson, who, you know, he was a very hyped up young offensive prospect. Hasn't had, you know, the greatest seasons. Uh, you know, he's not talked about in the potential rookie of the year race. So, like, I know a couple Canucks fans were really high on him in terms of the media. They were really speaking about how this guy can be a franchise changer. Uh, right now, he's currently slated on that third line in the left wing slot. So, he's one to watch out for. He is creative offensively. He could score on you at any time of the game. Uh, but, you know, certainly not amongst the Hoaglanders and uh, Besser-type uh, threat. Alex Chason, you know, I don't think we've got to go into depth much with him. We all know him from when he was with the Oilers. Uh, and Capitals, you know, he's that net front presence, uh, finds his way in front of the net, banging rebounds. You know, that's all there. The, the Leafs are going to have a tough time with him. I'll tell you that. They have a tough time boxing up people in front of the net. Bryson, I'm sure you know most about that. As your playing days are mostly as a defenseman, they have a, they, they are not, not, not very good in that aspect. Uh, let's go to the fourth line now to wrap up the forwards. Matthew Highmore. Juho, Lamico, and Tyler Mott. This fourth line is actually very underrated, in my opinion. Highmore, small guy, very quick, very strong lower body. Uh, you know, not afraid to give uh, the physicality. Uh, Lamico, you know, he's all right. Nothing really spectacular. I guess a fourth line center role for him is, you know, reasonable. Uh, he could score. He has an offensive touch, but definitely not somebody that I would really, really, really go into depth on. And Tyler Mott is a guy that, you know, he's been probably my most underrated Vancouver Canuck this year. Uh, in terms of a bottom six player, uh, he can create for himself. He's very fast. You know, they have really fast wingers on this fourth line here, which could be dangerous uh, going against at least fourth line tomorrow night. So that's a matchup to potentially watch out for. Tyler Mott, you know, very good defensively. And uh, his defense and his structure turns out uh, into his offensive production. So, you know, I'm a big fan of that. He creates for himself, and I like that. So with that, let's go to the D pairs. Oliver Ekman Larson is paired up with Tyler Myers on the first pairing. Then it's Quinn Hughes and Leaf legend Luke Shen. <laughs> I'm, you know, big name here in Leafland again this year. Uh, feels like I'm in a time machine. And then the third pairing between Brad Hunt and Travis Hamanick. Um, The power play unit uh, for the first unit tomorrow night is looking like Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, and JT Miller. So obviously special teams with the Vancouver Canucks, 
hasn't really been what we thought on like you know given the names on paper they're a star-studded lineup but they're only ranked 23rd in the league but in terms of d pairings you know Ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes, both left-handed, both on different pairings. Those guys are both game changers, and they are certainly my must-watch players tomorrow night. But uh, on terms of, you know, the right side, Luke Shen. You know, Luke Shen's a guy that I liked in terms of trade talk. I think the Leafs can get him at an affordable price. He's really shown the growth in his game, which I credit to John Cooper and Tampa's coaching staff. It looks like the playoff runs have helped him. Uh, you know, he's been really physical this year in providing – you know, lots of tough minutes for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, I've been talking a long time about this preview. Let's uh, get your opinion on this. In terms of this Vancouver Canucks uh, lines that I just went through, what's, you know, a couple names, let's say two forwards and one defenseman that really have your eye on uh, for tomorrow night? Yeah, I mean, you gave a pretty good recap on that or kind of a good preview on that. So this is a Canucks team, like you were talking about, who had a really slow start to the year and a team that, not only was I high on last year, I was high on this year as well. And unfortunately, uh, just I guess last season and the start of this season didn't go as planned. So we know they made the coaching change, brought in Boudreaux, like you were mentioning. And now the Canucks are among those teams fighting for that last wildcard spot or one of those wildcard spots. So, you know, I'm not saying they're for sure going to get in and it's going to be tough for them. I mean, the wildcard race pretty much in the Western Conference is up for grabs. I mean, you have a lot of teams in contention. And I think right now, um, Vancouver's got two uh, teams ahead of them, other than, I guess, the teams that are already in those spots. And, of course, they also have teams below them. I mean, I think Winnipeg's almost two ga- or sorry, two points below them, and I think San Jose's kind of hanging in there a lot. So that'll be interesting to see if they get in. I think, really, when you look at it right now, if they don't get in, it'll be strictly because they ran out of time. And, unfortunately, that was due to the slow start, of course. But, yeah, I mean, pretty much Vancouver has really turned things around. And, you know, as much as their lineup also coming into the game, there's a lot of notables. And before the coaching change as well, a lot of these guys are struggling. One of the first things that Bruce Boudreaux mentioned coming in when he took over the team was that he was going to make Brock Besser shoot more. And um, it's been paying off. These guys have all been playing better, like you mentioned. Uh, For the two forwards, I guess I will go off and I'll start with JT Miller. And I guess I have to go with Connor Garland. I know we'll talk about him later on. But the reason I do this is because both of these guys, and you know this, and I don't know how you exactly feel about this, which is why we're going to get to it. But both of these guys are on the Leafs radar potentially um, as potential trade chips. I mean, we know that the Leafs assistant GM was spotted at the last two Canucks games, obviously for Miller. And now that uh, recent rumors are also Connor Garland's in the mix, they're not going to get both of them. They'll get one of them maybe, but uh, I think that's really interesting to look at it. And you have, you have a lot of pieces on this team uh, that are that you can envision good fits on the Maple Leafs. So that's why I think I'm very intrigued by that. I know I think JT Miller signed for next year and then he goes into free agency. So you get one year out of him um, going into next year. So we'll see what happens on that one. And for somebody who also just seemed like he was completely going to lose his mind. I mean, when the Canucks were struggling, he had that press conference where he pretty much called out the entire team and saying, I, I can't remember what he said word for word, but he was pretty much saying that they have to, you know, show more effort. They have to care more. It was something along the lines of that. And he's another one that seems rejuvenated ever since uh, the coaching change and the run that they've been on. So I think he's a guy that you have to lock eyes on, you know, not only because of the performance, but of course, again, the interest that the Leafs have in him. Same with Garland. I'll, I won't go into Garland too much because I know you want to talk about him later on. So those are my two guys on forward on defense. As much as I want to say somebody like OEL or Tyler Myers, you know, you, I think I have to go with the obvious and go with Quinn Hughes, pretty much the young potential that he has and the, the stud that he has really been in Vancouver ever since coming into the league. Um, I think you got to look, you know, lock eyes on him. I guess he would be my defenseman to watch. And you have to kind of, and I guess I'll give an honorable mention to Luke Shen. You covered it also. There were rumors earlier in the year, maybe almost a month ago as well. I don't know how much recently it's picked up, but there were also the rumors that the Leafs were potentially interested. So that's interesting because, again, he is a Leaf legend. There's lots of hockey cards of him. I know what one of our close friends has a huge hockey card of Luke Shen, so that's why it kind of reminds me of those days when he was in Toronto, like you said, a couple Stanley Cups under his belt. He has really evolved in a way, and I think this is his second tenure, too, with the Vancouver Canucks. He's obviously going to come cheap. Another possible option, but I don't think it's a plan A option for the Leafs on the blue line, and maybe kind of like a plan B, plan C, plan D type of thing. So those are my guys overall to kind of look forward to on that one. And I just find the Vancouver Canucks one of the most interesting teams in the NHL this year. For the 
the reasons I mentioned earlier, so much drama with the team earlier on, and all of a sudden one coaching change really steered them in the right direction. And it's going to come down to the fact if they run out of time or not, if they make the playoffs or not. And it's a wild race in that wild card race in the Western Conference. Obviously, the teams in the Pacific, um, let, you know, to, I guess, give more of a clearer picture on that. But overall, of course, you got to combine the Central as well. So that's why I'm really interested on this matchup tomorrow night. And I know the last time when the Leafs were in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago, it didn't go exactly as planned. So you have to imagine coming off a of 5-1 loss also to one of the worst teams in the league. They're going to be motivated as well. So I think this is going to be a really good contest that we see tomorrow night. Yes, let's go over to the analytics now, as this is one of our traditions here. And we talked about previews. Uh, in terms of goals, the Leafs are favored. Uh, they are actually fourth in the league now compared to Vancouver's 23rd ranked. Uh, shots on goal, the Leafs are seventh, Vancouver's 13th. Uh, in power play percentage, the Leafs are first in the NHL. Uh, stick tabs to that. And Vancouver is 16th. In uh, shooting percentage, uh, you know, this is very vast difference here uh the Leafs are seventh and the Canucks are tied for 27th uh, in terms of face-off percentage the Canucks are actually in the top 10 they're sitting at nine and the face-off percentage is currently first uh you know clearly the offense is in favor the offensive statistics are in favor of Toronto and uh, some of the defensive metrics here in terms of goals allowed the Vancouver Canucks are actually better than the Leafs in terms of that uh Canucks are 11th Toronto is 15th. Uh, in terms of shots on goal allowed, the Leafs are better in that category. They are 11th. The Canucks are 16th. Uh, this is the one that's, you know, interesting to me. In terms of penalty kill percentage, the Vancouver Canucks are actually the worst in the league. And this is why I bring up the analytics here in our traditional little preview of uh, pregames. You know, I think the penalty kill percentage here for Vancouver is something the Leafs are really going to have to take advantage of. The Leafs are sixth ranked in uh, this category themselves. So it's like two opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, you know, this is a Leafs power play that, like I said, they are number one in the league. They are going against the last ranked penalty kill. You know, this is almost as good of a matchup as any. And it's really hard to see how the Leafs can at least get a couple power play goals tomorrow night. Uh, in terms of penalty uh, minutes, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are 13th in the league and the Leafs are second behind the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, you know, like I said, that matchup is almost so good in terms of special teams for Toronto that it almost seems like it's just not going to go Toronto's way because that's just how it works sometimes. So uh, tell me, just a little bit of uh, power play talk here against uh, tomorrow night's Vancouver Canucks penalty kill. Is that something you're going to be looking out for? I think it has to be. And I think this was kind of been a top of a conversation as well. Sheldon Keefe kind of came out and said that teams, he feels like teams are starting to get the hang of their power play and they kind of have to go back to the drawing board and figure out different ways. So, you know, you know how important special teams can be. It could be the designing factor in a game and especially tomorrow night because of how highly anticipated it could be tomorrow. Potentially the power play or the penalty kill could be the difference maker. It could be, I'm not saying it will be, uh, but there's lots of possibilities that could happen in the game. So that's why I definitely look at it like that way in that way, because obviously beforehand the power play was really producing. And I know, you know, most of it comes from Austin Matthews, comes from Mitch Marner. We've seen how dynamic they've been on the power play this year. I was met I mentioned off the top the Rocket Richard race that Matthews is in. So a lot of it has come from there. And of course, the power play, though, recently, again, has kind of cooled off a bit. It hasn't gone completely ice cold, but it has gone in. You know, it has been noticeable that the production that we've seen hasn't exactly lined up to what we saw earlier on in the season. So that's why I have to look at it on that one for sure. And I got to see different. You know, it's interesting to see what Sheldon Keefe will come up with because, you know, going back to the last game, you didn't really have a lot of chances to see that because of how quickly the game got out of hand. So as much as we've had a couple games after he said that, we still really haven't seen the full use of it because of how the team's been struggling and kind of how things have gone uh, for them overall. So that's why we're kind of still waiting to see, you know, what changes, if any, unless Sheldon Keefe was bluffing or maybe he wasn't exactly, you know, following through with what he was saying. I think that's the part that interests me on that one. So that's why it just adds another element to the excitement that you have tomorrow night and the different possibilities that can come, uh, come along with tomorrow night. So you have lots of things that we discussed about earlier on in terms of goaltending, the second line, you have to add the power play in there. And of course you have to add all the trade rumors that are pretty much circulating around the Vancouver Canucks and the Toronto Maple Leafs in particular, because 
for some reason, those teams have been linked to each other a lot here over the past couple of weeks. But yeah, the power play as well, you want to see that click because we know that the Leafs are a team in, you know, when things are going well, they make teams pay uh, when they go up or when they are on special teams. And that's something that they haven't been exactly utilizing as of late. So that, and that has been one of their specialties. And that's been pretty much what they've been known for, you know, not only just this year, but in years, in years past. And when you look at it, when the power play struggles, uh, it doesn't completely shut off the team, but in a way it just takes away one of the weapons and one of their strengths. And then it makes it more difficult for them to win in different uh, ways of the game, because, you know, a lot of people talk about the physicality and whatnot, and the Leafs like to punish teams for that on the power play. They have to follow through with that. And that's why going into tomorrow, we're still waiting for them to turn things around and we're still waiting to see how the power play is going to respond, especially against a penalty kill like the Vancouver Canucks. And I always like that kind of back and forth action on that when you have different levels of special teams in terms of, you know, their high rankings and you, you want to see which side's going to prevail. So that's why it's definitely one of the, the bright spots or one of the things that you highlighted uh, for tomorrow night for sure. All right, let's go to a huge topic now, and that is goaltending. Thatcher Demko for the Vancouver Canucks expected to get the nod. This guy is an absolute stud. Uh, from what I'm looking at, this guy's seen game action in pretty much every game the Canucks have had between February 8th to March 3rd. Uh, he has not started all those games. He's coming in relief, but this guy has, you know, got a fair share of the workload here in Vancouver. Uh, he rocks a 24-16-2 record, a 2.60 goals against average, and a 9-18 save percentage. Uh, we saw what he did against the Leafs last time. He's a very good goaltender, served under Markstrom, uh, you know, made his day, well, not really debut, but made his name in the playoffs in that bubble. Uh, you know, Vancouver turned to him as being their, you know, franchise guy now. Um, they brought in Holpe last year to kind of be the 1A, 1B situation, uh, just to kind of, I guess, move, move him along in uh, Thatcher's development. And this year he's got the reins, and wow, has he lived up to it. He's been awesome for Vancouver. And uh, going across the ice for him in net for your Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow night is Jack Campbell. He is 23-8-4 at 2.54 goals against average and a .917 save percentage. You know, it's actually really hard to believe how good Campbell's numbers still are after about three months now of rapid decline. That's actually really impressive. Uh, you know, I'll start off first with Jack. I have a written piece coming out. Uh, should be on the website tomorrow morning about Jack Campbell and why Leaf Station should still believe in Jack. Uh, you know, this guy was just in the All-Star game, and I think a lot of people forgot about that. You know, it's tough when you're in net and, you know, things aren't going your way. The written piece I have coming out, I worked on for a long time. Uh, I really like it. I'm really happy with my work, so I encourage you all to go read that tomorrow morning. So I'm not going to go too much in-depth on Jack, but the time to, tr to believe in Jack Campbell's now. It's time to turn the page. Uh, I know it's hard. Uh, the Detroit game was probably, you know, the knife and the wound, I guess. Like, that was just really tough to watch in every aspect, uh, you know, no matter what goal you want to talk about. But, you know, it's time to believe in Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell... It's just basically first year as a starter. And when you look at career goalies, when they get their first starting job, you know, for a full year, they have their ups and downs. And sometimes it's as bad as Campbell's. And, uh, you know, goalies are so elite that they can turn this uh, at any given game at any given point. So with Campbell, I think it's all mental right now. I know myself as a goaltender, it is really hard to explain this feeling. And I know a lot of people just like to bash goaltenders, but, it is so hard right now when you're in this state. Uh, it, it, I know a lot of it's easier said than done is how I'm going to describe it. People say, oh, you just got to move on, look towards the next goal, all that. You got to forget the past. It's so tough. And I can only imagine being the starting goaltender of the Toronto Maple Leafs with how much media attention you get here. Jack Campbell, you know, he's loved by the guys in the change room. Uh, you know, Matthews and Marner have gone out to vouch for this guy. And I can't see a trade like Marc-Andre Fleury really coming in. As much as I would love that or a Semyon Varlamov, like, yes, those are great ads. And I think, you know, there's a case that's very well, you know, structured that this Leafs team needs a guy like that. I'm not going to disagree, but with how much this team loves Jack, Jack being in a contract year, everything Jack gave to this Maple Leafs organization at the start of the year, making it to the All-Star game, 
I think it's really, really unrealistic. They go out and bring in a huge name unless something really bad happens in the stretch here before the trade deadline. Uh, but that's kind of my goalie preview. And I'm just going to recap uh, before we get to your opinion is, uh, you know, just you've got to take things slow with Jack. It is going to be a building process brick by brick, but I guarantee you he's going to get back into form. I tweeted it on my Twitter uh, on Thursday. He is going to bounce back. Believe me, I have been harsh on Campbell uh, during some episodes. I'm not hiding that. When everybody was saying extend him, give him the six mil, give him six years, all that stuff. I was very critical on that. For reasons like this, and people have called me a hater, Jack Campbell hater. No, I'm not any of that stuff. As you can see, now I'm portraying him as the good guy. I'm team Jack Campbell all the way now. But I'm just saying, this is why you don't jump to extensions because Jack Campbell just proved everything that I said on podcast episodes prior. But he is going to bounce back. I don't understand the meltdown. I like the Kyle Dubas' words today and the media availability. You know, and we look at a game to game process here in Toronto. So, you know, I'm going bold here. I think Jack Campbell has a really good game. What about you, Bryson? I mean, he's due, and it's going to happen sooner rather than later. But, yeah, I just wanted to say it's kind of funny and ironic that a lot of people at the time early on in the season were saying, oh, my God, sign Campbell. Like, extend Campbell right now before his price tag goes over and, I guess, above and beyond something that the Leafs can't afford. And backing your point, you know, he's fallen, he's fallen back down to earth. And I think really the Leafs pretty much did the right thing here and um, didn't sign him to an extension. They're going to ride it out with him because who's to say also, who knows what happens later in the year. And if things don't go as planned, you know, maybe the Leafs want to go in a different direction next year. If things obviously knock on wood or, you, you know, things you just hope that don't happen. You know, if it doesn't work out for them in the first round, once again, who, who's to say that the Leafs want to go back to Jack Campbell next year, right? You have Peter Mrazek locked up for the next two years. But I think overall as well, you know, I'd be shocked at this point if they also if they add a goaltender. I know there's some rubblings out there, but pretty much what Kyle Dubas said to the media today, he's not known to be a guy who's, I guess, bluffs all the time or kind of lies straight to the media's faces. I think what he said in a way that he's going to he's not concerned about either one of them. I think the Leafs are ready to ride it out with them. You know, I just don't see it happening with them adding a goaltender, but I guess you can't rule it out entirely. So that's something that I guess you got to take note of. But yeah, I mean, again, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, Jack Campbell, it's been really a, just a deep dive for him. I mean, pretty much since I think um, as of a couple of days ago, uh, it's just been, you know, I think it was his goal saved above as expected actually fell below into the negatives after playing, I think it was over 35 games. I think that's something that is just kind of described his downfall and his real, his struggles overall. So, you know, they've been going back and forth with Morazic and Campbell, and they're still going to do that until one of them gets hot. And then you can kind of ride the hot hand, unless they really are true to sticking to going back and forth and splitting it. Like what we envisioned heading into the year this year, because I guess you can't rule that out either, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to happen eventually. I don't know if it'll happen tomorrow, like you were saying, but I can't see why not. I mean, Vancouver Canucks again, coming into town uh, tomorrow night. You know, I think a one thing or the one thing too, which was uh, notable is that the last time these guys played each other. And I just remembered is that that was the game where the Leafs had, I think almost had 50 shots on net on uh, Demko. So you have to assume that the Leafs are going to, you know, know something from last time that they couldn't do. And they're going to kind of translate it into tomorrow. Maybe that works out better for them offensively too. And if they get a couple early goals or a couple goals overall before Vancouver gets on the board, that's obviously going to help with somebody like Jack Campbell's confidence. And that's all he needs right now. I mean, he's really, um, really fallen off a cliff pretty much since the new year. So the Leafs have tried everything in terms of giving him more breaks, spacing out his starts with Peter Morazic. And unfortunately they or the results haven't been there yet, but I do think we're going to, we're going to get to the point where it does happen. Like we all know that he won't be this bad for the rest of the season. It's pretty much darn near impossible to predict that that's going to happen. So I think we all envision him to get back on track and be that um, Leafs goalie heading into the playoffs. So it's just a matter of when. And, you know, coming into tomorrow night, why not do it against the Vancouver Canucks after what happened last time, putting up almost 50 shots and losing that game? I know that doesn't translate to Campbell because that was the offense. But what I'm saying is, again, you score more goals tomorrow night. Maybe it helps with his confidence. You know, you, you have to imagine he's working at it in any sort of way to get through this slump. And we're going to get to the point where he does get over this slump. So, he gets the opportunity tomorrow after Morazic struggled a couple days ago. I don't know if I'm going to make it a lock for him to, to tomorrow to be, you know, lights out. 
but I don't see why it can't happen for sure. Like, you know, again, it's not going to be like this the rest of the year. So that's why you've seen the numbers dip. You've seen everything kind of go down for Campbell. It's only a matter of time before it levels off and it goes back up again. So I still have confidence in him as well. I still think that riding into the playoffs, he's got to be your number one goalie heading into game one. And um, he, he deserves that opportunity after the start he had this year. But yeah, I mean, it is pretty funny though with the extension, like I said, again, thank goodness and all due respect to him that they didn't give him that extension right now. I prefer the approach of them doing kind of like a wait and see and see really where it goes from here because this is, this is adversity, you know, not like what Jack Campbell's seen before. He's finally stepped in the spotlight. He's, he finally came into this year. He's already played the most games he's had or he has in, in his entire career compared to previous seasons with Toronto and obviously with LA earlier on in his career. So that's why this is new to him. This is all new territory to him. And it's eventually going to be something that he is going to learn from and it's going to make him a better goalie down the road. So that's why my confidence in him is still high, even if, um, you know, right now we don't know when the end of his struggles will be. Yes. I love how you mentioned Jack Campbell's goal saved above expected. It has dropped to minus 1.28. Only Caden Primo. I said this on the last podcast, only Caden Primo and Philip Grubauer have had a worse stretch over 10 games than that. Uh, that's tough. That's tough. But I have faith in Jack. Uh, you know, the whole world's turned on him. Uh, I think this is this is his rebound game. I feel it. And uh, I think tomorrow there's no better opponent than to have a good game at home, uh, rebound off that terrible game against Buffalo. And Coach Bank Arena is going to be in full capacity. Uh, what better night to rebound than that against a, you know, a very good hockey team that's fighting for a playoff spot, like you said. Uh, but with that, let's go to Connor Garland. This is kind of our last segment here on today's episode. Connor Garland is one of my favorite players league-wide. Watched him a ton when he was with Arizona. Watched him even from when he broke into the league with Arizona early on in his career. I love the way he plays hockey. Reminds me of a Mitch Marner in a lot of ways. Really small guy, but really fun in the offensive zone. Really creative, whether that's scoring goals or, you know, making plays. But this year just hasn't really clicked from in Vancouver. And I'm really surprised. I thought, you know, now that he's with a better team, a better offensive unit, a better offensive structure in general, he really would have, you know, popped off. But he has 14 goals, 17 assists for 31 points through 51 games. And uh, what's interesting to me is you see his time on ice totals average for the year is at 16 minutes and 10 seconds. So, you know, clear drop off from what he was seeing in Arizona. But what I noticed the most here is in 51 games, he only has one power play goal. And this is why I think this is a diamond in the rough kind of player here is because Connor Garland is so good on the power play. He's a power play guru in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that's going to get you a lot of hits or a lot of blocks. Like he's not really a defensive zone kind of guy. I'm not saying he's bad. He works hard. His work effort is awesome. Uh, you know, a lot of people will vouch for this guy and tell you how good of a hockey player he truly is. Uh, you know, Arizona found him and it was really a very vital piece to uh, their wild card runs when they had the Taylor Hall and Phil Kessler there in uh, Arizona. You know, he's really, really under the radar in a lot of ways. A lot of that, I think, is due to his size. But this is a guy that I think, you know, his cap hit, it's rel it's not like high. It's not astronomical. It's wealthy. And it's got some term. Like, it's got a lot of years on it. They did extend them this offseason. So that's the only hesitant part with me. But, you know, you put him on, and th this is where it gets tough. Like, see, I would love to see him on the first unit of the power play because that's where he – that's his milk and butter. That is – I'm sorry, his bread and butter, milk and butter. I messed that one up. Uh, you know, he's really that power play driving piece. And I think with a team like Toronto that's had, you know, really it's ups and downs with the power play. Uh, last year, you know, we saw like what was that dramatic drop off with the power play after they were so hot to start the year. Um, you know, this is a guy that you can put on power play unit one with injury or without injury, and he can really be a vital piece. And, uh, you know, I think he'd be so fun to watch here in Toronto. I think his build fits exactly what Dubas likes. Um, you know, I think he brings enough offense to this, I guess, uh, like this big four here in Toronto that. You know, he would bring more good than bad. 
He's not known for his defensive zone work, but this is a guy that you put him on a line with Matthews. You shift Marner down to the second line with John Tavares. And this might be bold here, but put Nylander with Jason Spezza on the third line. Spezza in uh, obviously the center role. Uh, that left wing, you could put a Kerfoot or a Mikheyev or Engvall. And then the fourth line have David Camp, Andre Kasha, and uh, whatever left winger you decide to put there out of the three. Uh, it could even be Kerfoot or, as well or something like that. But the reason I would do that is because now you have the offensive depth spread out, and that's what Kyle Dubas, uh, Kyle Dubas and uh, Sheldon Keith really prioritized this year was trying to find a well-balanced depth through the first you know, four lines here. Uh, they have a ton of depth in terms of the players on the Marlies. You know, Alex Steves is a guy that's you know been pretty good this year. Uh, Suomela as well as an honorable mention. They have the prospects. So this is a team that I think their NHL offense needs some work. And it's just tough because, you know, Spets is – I mean, uh, Simmons is going to be playing in his 1,000th game tomorrow night. Um, you know, credit to him. That's going to be an amazing accomplishment. I'm expected to be at the game tomorrow night. I'm really looking forward to that ceremony. I think that's one of the coolest things in hockey is when they get the silver six. So I'm really excited to see that. Uh, but you know, Simmons, as much as I love the guy, he is goalless in 24 games. And this is the problem, you know, your fourth line is very important in terms of the, like, in terms of wanting to win a Stanley cup, like I've said, the Tampa Bay lightning, the Pittsburgh penguins, they've been so successful in back-to-back runs when they were, you know, on their game because they had lines from one to four that can score you at any given point of the game. And as much as I vouch for Simmons to be in the lineup, I'm not saying scratch him, of course, but. Wayne Simmons, I think, might need an elevated role here with maybe some better players because 24 games without a goal now is almost unacceptable. But he has to play because uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on uh, one of these episodes that Tyler Kennedy, a uh, former NHLer, posted a video online saying that basically after the physicality that was going on in the NHL that a lot of people don't know this as fans, but Uh, How players approach the game is completely different when you know somebody on the opposing bench is going to hold you accountable. And I think uh, if Wayne Simmons wasn't on that bench, I think you would see a lot of headless hits and a lot of, you know, very dirty plays from the opposition, you know, with how young of an offensive core we got here in Toronto that's not really known for its physicality. You know, that's a guy that I think Simmons is a vital piece. And you know, obviously, I'm not saying that he has to sit in the press box, but he just needs to find his offense because right now it's really hard to play him uh, in games that are, you know, non-physical and, you know, very, I guess, back and forth. Um, you know, with that, though, let's go to your opinion on Connor Garland. What do you think? Would you like to see him in the blue and white? Honestly, when you think of it, you can make a case of it being more appealing to JT Miller, not, you know, completely in all aspects, but I think, in a way, just because as much as you were hesitant talking about his contract, I think the thing that maybe is more appealing is the fact that obviously the cap hit is lower than JT Miller's. And yes, he's under, uh, I think, club control for another, I think it's four more seasons, like you were talking about earlier on. So that gives them the solidarity of him being in the lineup, you know, long-term. And of course, you were talking about the depth, you know, potentially sliding into that second line. I guess we kind of envisioned him on that one. You don't want to mess with the first line. And you were talking about, different combinations for the third and the fourth. If you add someone like Garland to the second, and of course, as much as, you know, he could be beneficial to uh, the first power play unit, you know, there's always a chance he put, he goes on the second unit, right? I mean, I'm not saying that's a lock either, but I think it gives you the flexibility to make these decisions, to have these options in front of you. And they're good. They're good situations to be in when you want to have all this depth. So that's the one thing I look at it from that part. And, um, you know, as a team like the Vancouver Canucks, I feel like, them getting rid of one of these guys, and I guess maybe more Garland in particular, you know, as much as they are in that playoff hunt, they can still get away with getting away, or sorry, they can still get away, sorry, with trading one of those guys. Like, it's not like their season will be ruined. They can kind of survive in that. As much as he puts up points, you know, Connor Garland, he's not exactly, you know, he's not a game changer. Like, he doesn't take over the game, but he does put up points and he does know his role. And that is potentially being in the middle of the lineup with depth. And I think that's also why maybe the Canucks may be willing to shop him. So that's why when you look at it, you can make sense of the, I guess, the fit that he has here. And when you think about it too, maybe he costs less than JT Miller, unless the, uh, the term on that contract makes him, um, 
expensive, but I, I do envision he would be cheaper than JT Miller. And it's definitely an option for the wing. So that's why I'm not totally against it uh, whatsoever. So yes, can I envision him in here? Of course. And I do wonder really what Kyle Dubas is thinking here because we talk about the forwards all the time. And a lot of people stress about the defense too. We don't know what's going to happen with that. You know, he kind of hinted today that I think he has one more deal up his sleeve or what he's planning to do. But of course he could be lying or kind of misleading the media in some sort of way. I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing that, especially talking trades. So that's why I think there's a lot of possibilities for this Leaf club. And again, the, just the Vancouver Canucks have been a team that have been linked to the Leafs for a lot here over the past couple of weeks. So that's why it's, you know, when people talk about it so much over the course of time, it usually does pan out to be something that does happen between these two clubs. So I, I do expect something to happen, whether it's Connor Garland or JT Miller, I don't know which one, but I think the thing that we are well aware of at this point is that it will be one of those two. If anything does happen with Vancouver, maybe nothing happens at all with Vancouver, but I think if they go in this direction with, with Vancouver, you're getting one of these two guys, there's pros and cons to both of them. And that's why it's going to come, I guess, to a determination of price cost, you know, what, how much real is Kyle Dubas willing to give up? Does he want to go after somebody with more term or does he want somebody like JT Miller who will have more of a, I guess, a game changing impact. Like I said, that defers from someone like Garland. So both good players overall though. And of course I can see that. And yeah, I mean, you, you briefly mentioned also Wayne Simmons, you know, if this does happen again, the depth comes in here, maybe um, Wayne Simmons's role does change. He is under contract for next year as well. So this may be a problem or just a situation that they're going to have to try and deal with for next season as well. It's just not something that's going to expire at the end of this year, unless they decide to go in a different direction, which is always possible. Uh, you can't rule that possibility out. So that's why I think there's a lot of options here ahead for this team. And when you look at it, you know, not only is Vancouver a team that the Leafs are looking at, there's lots of other guys that the Leafs have been linked to uh, that we discussed, I think last week. So you know, it's just for some reason this past week, it's been really zeroed in on Vancouver in particular. So, you know, you have to envision something's going to be happening. But yeah, I mean, at least out of these two guys, you don't sit here and question their role with the team. You don't question saying, now what, like, why would they go after that? And that's why I think it does make sense if they go after one of these two guys. You can see the correlation. You can see the fit. And of course, you can understand that this is a deal that Kyle Dubas may be willing to do. Both of these guys at least are under contract for at least next year. And of course you're trading for that as well. It's not going to be one of those typical Kyle Dubas rentals for a first round pick. And then he leaves in free agency a month later. So that's why maybe it's a little bit more intriguing. They're going to be doing something a little bit more different than they have in years past. And it's all about that end or that end game in terms of getting through the first round, finally getting over the hump and going on a playoff run because this team is due for it. And unfortunately it's been a lot of sad seasons and a lot of bad finishes uh, for this Leaf team in April over the past couple of years. And then, of course, what happened in the bubble. So that's why I'm very intrigued to see what Kyle Dubas ends up doing, you know, and how really, uh, or how the Leafs really deep or dig into this trade market over the next couple of weeks. Yes, very well said. It is going to be a very interesting month of March, I guess. Uh, you know, with the outdoor game coming up very soon, which uh, me and you will both be attending, which will be very exciting to announce to the listeners. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, but, you know, I think that kind of leaves us here at the end of this episode as we look back at the Buffalo Sabres disaster. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we kind of preview the Vancouver Canucks. Any last things you want to mention, Bryson, before we wrap up this episode? Not really. I do want to ask you, though, since you are going to be at the game tomorrow, do you expect Austin Matthews to score more than one goal? Just because of the Rocket Richard race, it's very intriguing. That's why you have to ask. Uh, I mean, I'm probably the most optimistic Leafs person that speaks about the team in the world right now, besides Paul Bissonnette. <laughs> <laughs> Our friend Mike's pretty optimistic, too, but yeah. Yeah, we got to get him on the pod. He's on the TFC pod. Uh, for those of you that don't uh, that aren't familiar with Mike, uh, give uh, Toronto FC's uh, episode some listens because that season is just kicking off, and uh, the more listens listeners, the merrier. And you guys would love Mike. Uh, he brings a total different aspect to podcasting. A true stud. Yes, and talking about sports media. So with that, uh, I'm gonna say yes. I think Austin Matthews two goals tomorrow night. I think he plays awesome. I think it's a classic Austin Matthews game. 
Uh, but, you know, this could be a very similar game to the Buffalo Sabres one, right? Like this Canucks team on paper is a complete different world than Buffalo. And if Buffalo was able to play like that against Toronto, uh, there's no reason why the Canucks cannot. But I think we should wrap it up there because, uh, you know, I, we've covered so much about this game at this point that it's all that's left is what happens uh, when puck drops tomorrow night. So, Bryson, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, thank you. For uh, tomorrow night's game. And uh, go Leafs, go. It is certainly going to be an entertaining one. And I cannot wait as the Leafs host the Vancouver Canucks tomorrow night on Hockey Night in Canada. That's all from us, folks. Thank you for listening.